grief about not being there. So, well, we're really excited for the women's retreat. And yes, indeed, um, I will come. I want to come behind what Katie said about um, every man's responsibility to take one of those invite cards to and make sure that the women in your life have one of them. Okay, so um, if you didn't get one, or make sure you get one on your way out, so that uh, we can get as many women as possible there. Um, we are in, um, we're in the series on prayer, and prayer is, um, prayer is interesting in the Christian life, um, because there's almost universal agreement about certain aspects of prayer. So, uh, to, to kind of display this or to demonstrate this, I want to ask a question. Who here, who here follows Jesus, considers ourselves a Christian? Um, who here thinks that prayer is not important? Okay, prayer is not important. Raise your hand. Okay, good. So we're all in agreement on that. Now, uh, second question, follow-up question, semi-related. Who here, Christian, follows Jesus, has a relationship with God, you know, um, thinks prayer, or does not, thinks prayer, uh, or doesn't think prayer isn't important? Who here thinks that they, um, they, that their prayer life is at 100%, like I got this prayer game on, on lockdown? Raise your hand. So here's the realities. Almost every single Christian that I know thinks that prayer is foundationally important to a relationship with God. And, I, and almost no Christians that I know feel like, man, my prayer life is right where it should be. I'm praying enough. I'm hearing the Lord. I'm seeing prayers be answered seeing miracles happen in my life um, because, my, because I'm praying through them. And so there's like this, there's this, I think this collective yearning of the Christian heart, right, to want more in prayer, to need more in prayer, to desire more in prayer, but also this collective like, um, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how, to, I don't know how to access the type of prayer or the type of discipline or, or the type of life that, that reflects the desire in my heart that I have for a prayer life. I don't know how to get there. And I want to tell you that, that that's, not, that's not just a young Christian thing. Right? You don't... You may not, you don't feel that way because, man, you're just young in your faith, and once you mature a little bit more, and once you grow, you'll, you'll, you'll grow out of that. You know, that's something that, like, I've been following Jesus for a long time, right? Uh, and and uh, people in the room have been following Jesus for, for a long time, but there's still this deep yearning within our souls for, Lord, I want more of you in prayer, but I, I just don't know how to get there. Help me to get there. I went back this week and I re-listened to Pastor Corey's message um, from last week on prayer. If you haven't, didn't get an opportunity to do that, I would encourage you. You can go on our app. Our app has been redesigned this week. And so if you haven't been on the app in a week or two, go ahead and click on the app. It's a little bit more clean and um, sleek for you. And uh, go, go back and listen to his sermon from last week. So listen on, uh, on the website. But I went back because I wanted to make sure that we didn't miss a few of the real, what I, what I thought were like foundational, like key, if we don't get these things, we're not going to get a lot of things type of points from, from his message. And so I want to just, in, in a manner of review, review them from last week, all right? So uh, here's some things that I, I pulled from Pastor Corey's message uh, from last week. Uh, number one is this. Prayer is not natural. 
Prayer is not natural, meaning it's not something that we just naturally come to do. It's not something that gets, just happens over time without any effort. It just happens all by itself. Uh, in fact, the disciples who were with Jesus, Pastor Corey mentioned this last week, John the Baptist's disciples who were with him, you've you got to imagine these 12 guys, right, who were with Jesus for three years of his life, Imagine the questions that they could have asked him. Lord, teach us how to multiply the fish and the loaves. Teach us how to raise people from the dead. Teach us how to make the deaf hear and the lame walk. Teach us how to, do, teach, us how to, to teach with authority, Lord. Teach us all of these things. And they didn't ask him to do any of those things. The one thing that they asked him to teach them was, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so if they weren't getting it by, just even the osmosis of being next to Jesus, it, it stands to reason that, man, if the disciples can't get it just naturally, ain't no one going to get it naturally. That, that prayer is not natural. That it's, it's something that we must be taught how to do. It's something that we must learn how to do. And it's something that must be developed in our life. Some people have called prayer um, a spiritual discipline. And like any discipline that you undertake to master, it takes time and it takes effort, a lot of effort. So prayer is something that is natural. You're like, man, I've, man, I've just been a Christian for so long and I, I just haven't developed a prayer life yet. It's not natural to develop. It doesn't happen all on its own. It must be taught, learned, and developed. Number two, one of Jesus' greatest prayer habits was solitude. It's easy to miss this in the gospel if you're not looking carefully. But every time you see that you see an example of Jesus praying, it almost always starts with these words, and Jesus went off by himself. And Jesus went off by himself. And Jesus went off by himself. Even when he took the disciples, the three, um, Peter, James, and John, to, to pray with him, right? And they fell asleep, right? They went, they went off to a place, right, to pray. And then what did Jesus do even after he got in that place with them? Then he went a little further by himself. You guys stay here, watch and pray with me. Go over. So Jesus, one of Jesus' greatest prayer disciplines is solitude. I don't really have any more application for that other than we should pay attention to those things, right? What is the way that Jesus, the way that Jesus prayed? He prayed in solitude most of the time. Here is the third thing and, and, um, and perhaps the most important from Pastor Corey's message last week. Um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he didn't say these exact words, but every bit of power that our prayers have comes through Jesus. Every bit of power that we have in prayer comes through Jesus. Meaning, meaning that, um, you might not like to hear this, right, but if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, if you have not surrendered your life to him, your will to him, your desires to him, your plans to him, if you are not, if you are not surrendered in life to Jesus, you literally cannot have a prayer life. It's, it's impossible. Because it is, it is through our relationship with Jesus. It is, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that the avenue between us and the Father is opened. Jesus, Jesus takes the, the wall, the separation that is between us and the Father, and he, he breaks the wall down through our faith in him. So, so every bit of power, every bit of ability that you and I have in prayer, every time that we pray 
and it is answered. It is because Jesus has made provision for us before the Father to hear that prayer. And so every bit of power or ability that you and I have in our prayer life comes through and by Jesus Christ. There is a reason, right, that we pray in the name of Jesus. Because it is when we pray in the name of Jesus that we invoke the authority and confidence to go before the Father. Because until then, we only come in our own name, right? But when we go, in, when we go to the Father in the name of Jesus, we go not on our authority, but we go upon His, right? And Scripture, time and time and time again, declares that the, it, is the, it is the name of Jesus that has power and authority. In fact, when... Uh, Peter uh, approached the crippled man outside of the temple in Acts chapter 3. This is after Jesus had ascended back into heaven, right? Jesus was gone. Now the apostles and the disciples were on their own, so to speak, through the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of Jesus Christ, right? And they came up to the crippled beggar on, uh, who was who was laying in front of the temple. And he, but um, alms, right? Alms for the poor. Just give me, give me money, please. And, and it's, uh, the scripture says in Acts chapter 3 that, that Peter looked at him intently, right? He looked him in his eyes. He said, silver or gold, I do not have. What you want, I can't give to you. I don't have it. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, pick up your mat and walk. That the greatest thing that Peter could have done for that man in that moment was to draw upon the power and authority that he had through the name of Jesus to offer this man healing. And it was realized in his life. Any bit of power, any ability that you and I have in prayer is only because and through the name of Jesus Christ. So when we come into um, this morning, I, I want to offer you like a few big, like hope, maybe big picture, like conceptual things. And then towards the end, we're going to do a couple like really practical things. Um, about our our prayer lives, um, that is my that is my hope. Let's let's pause for prayer. Lord, you see every note on the page. You see, you know, Lord, what is about to be said, what is about to be proclaimed, Father. Lord, silence anything that is not of you in this moment, Lord. May, may only your, the voice of your Holy Spirit be heard in our hearts. Lord, teach us to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Teach us to pray in the way, Lord, that every word, every breath, Lord, reaches the ears of the Father in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Pastor Corey um, preached from the Gospel of Luke in the section on um, the Lord's Prayer. I think that's Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be in, a, in the same section or the same um, part of Scripture, but in the Gospel of Matthew. All right, so the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer section, but in the Gospel of Matthew, and that's in chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the Scripture, you can go there to Matthew chapter 6. This is part of um, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is a collection of teachings that Jesus does on various topics. Um, we have them nicely categorized and separated in our Bibles with 
big bold headings over each part. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, uh, verses 5 through 8 um, is the, the kind of precursor to the, um, the precursor to the Lord's Prayer here. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, uh, so, uh, I think the first and the most obvious thing that can be, can be missed here is that, that Jesus, um, Jesus' qualifications for prayer are, they're, they're kind of framed in the assumption that you are going to be praying, right? It's, the, the assumption is you're already praying. You're a, you're a praying person. It's going to be it's going to be included as part of your spiritual life, your spiritual disciplines. Pretty clearly because Jesus doesn't say, if you decide that prayer is going to be something that you would like to have as a part of your relationship with the Father, then you might want to consider praying like this. But there's no qualification here of whether or not like you want to do it or should do it or can do it or whatever. The, the qualification for Jesus is like when you are doing it and when you pray, do it like this. There's, there's an assumption, right, that, that, that prayer is, is going to be a foundational part of your disciplined life with God. But here's the thing that I, um, that I think that we have been maybe conditioned to believe and has, and has poisoned, and I mean that word, poisoned um, our perception of God's favor on us. We say a lot here, God is for you. And the reason that we say that a lot, right, is because um, it's been beaten into our heart and mind for so long that, that God it starts off angry at you. And you have to earn your way for him to be for you. That, 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 that God, that, that you start off with an F on God's report card, and if you're good enough, right, you do the right things, you practice the right habits, you go to the right places, you be around the right people, you say the right words, you don't say the wrong words, right? Then you'll, you'll eventually work your way into a good, healthy, stable relationship with God. And it's backwards. Right? That, that God, is, God is eternally for you. God, you, you are, do you know that you are God, you are the apex of God's creation, if you want to say it clinically and scientifically like that. You are his prized possession, the apple of his eye, the one person that he is willing to give up all things for. God is for you. God delights in you. Yes, even you. Even me. God delights in you. But we've, our, our, our mind, 
our, our thoughts, our, our feelings, right? Our, the way that we think about God and the way that we think that God thinks about us really has been poisoned with this, man, I don't pray, I don't pray a whole lot, so, ah, oh God, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Did you know that not praying is not a sin? <laughs> you need to hear that. Listen, not praying is not a sin. But prayer as a overt demonstration of your extreme spirituality. Well, I, I pray like this, and I pray this many hours a day, and I pray for all of the things, all of the time, and I have a prayer list. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be, I can't do that because that's my prayer time. And I'm up every morning praying for three hours before the rest of my family wakes up. Right? Prayer as a demonstration of your overt spirituality. Prayer as a form of passive gossip. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray for our brother, Pastor Eric. Because um, he's really struggling with this, and he's really struggling with that, and, and we just love him. Lord, thank you for saving us from those things, <laughs> but Father, we pray that you would save him from those things too. So, so prayer, right? 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 You know? Like, well, we, we need to talk about this, but just coming right out and saying, and it might be gossip, so we'll just pray about it, and then everyone knows. Um, unspoken requests for Pastor Eret, please. Um, <laughs> not fooling anyone, right? Prayer as an overt demonstration of your extreme spirituality. Prayer as a form of passive gossip. Listen, is a sin and does not reach the heart of God. Not praying is not a sin. But prayer that seeks to demonstrate how spiritual you are, prayer that seeks to raise you above others is a sin and will not reach the heart of God. It will fall on deaf ears. So listen, I want to I talk about this idea of prayer not being a sin for just a moment, alright? Because... Um, I know, like, some people be like, well, gee, I think prayer, not praying is a sin. Um, so, um, not praying is not a sin, right? Uh, nowhere in Scripture do we see really anything that we can come close to that, right? When we talk about not praying, and we talk about what it causes and what it doesn't cause, what we see, what, what we can see from Scripture, what we can see from the life of Jesus, right, is that, is that the thing that not praying does is simply puts, it, puts us in a place of willingly forfeiting God's best for us. Right? That, that's what it does. It's not an offense to the heart and character of God to not engage in a prayerful life with him. But what it does is it puts you in a place of willingly forfeiting the things he wants to give you and do to you and in you. Basically what you're saying is like, I know you have something for me. I know you want to do something in me, right? But, but for right now, I'm going to forfeit my access to those things. Because there are, there are things that God wants to do in you and through you that he will only do in prayer. As you seek him and as you pursue him and as you discipline your heart, your mind, and life to engage 
in relationship with him. And until you do that, you're not sinning. You're just not experiencing everything he has for you. So you can make the choice. If everything in your life was like, yeah, man, I'm good. Don't need a thing. Don't need anything. My heart is good. My mind is good. My purpose is good. I know exactly where I'm going. Have everything figured out. There's no clouds. No, not, nothing obstructing my vision. No cobwebs like, man, I'm just like this close to Jesus myself. Then don't pray. You don't need to. Right? But if you're like, man, I know that I know that I know that God has more for me. That, that God, man, I, I just can't hear God. Why don't I hear God? Why doesn't God speak to me? See, here's the thing, is that, that God, God is for you, right? He is for you. Beware. Run away from. Like, sprint away from. Give them, like, the stiff arm, the Heisman, right? Like, Beware of any theology, any belief that paints God as a reluctant giver to you. As someone who is like stingy, who's holding on tightly to the things he would love to give to you, but he's going to make you earn it. He's going to make you work for it right even jesus says in matthew chapter 7 right verse 9 that that who of you well i mean let's not i'm gonna butcher it right matthew chapter 7 verse 9 which of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone instead or if he asks for fish will give him a snake if you then Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Beware of anyone or anything that paints a picture of God as a reluctant giver in your life. As one who is willingly withholding either himself or blessing to you simply to watch you squirm. The scripture's witness is unequivocally clear that God is for you. That God is not reluctant to give himself to you. That God is not reluctant to bless you. That God desires these things for you. God, God doesn't he doesn't have this like, you know, you, you see the, like the fundraising thermometers like where they, they fill in the amounts every time, right, until they get to the goal, right? right? God, God doesn't have this like Cameron's prayer thermometer. And once he hits this many prayers or once he hits this many things, then like the top blows off the blessing and it just pours down into my life, right? We laugh, right? Because the image is funny, but we should really cry <laughs> because the, the, the idea is so deeply rooted in our souls that that's the way it works, or some variation of it at least. Prayer, right, is not some, some thing that God uses as a as like a, just fill the thermometer with enough of them, and then it will happen for you. As if there's a quota. Prayer, prayer is the process by which God makes us spiritually fit to receive what he is already willing to do. Prayer is the process that changes me. Prayer is the process that changes you so that we become 
spiritually fit to receive the things that God is ready to do in my life. Do you know how many of the things that I have prayed for would have destroyed me if God would have given them to me when I asked for them rather than when I was ready for them? How many things I would have lost out on because I thought I knew what I needed, what I wanted, and I went to God boldly for them, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. God is just a reluctant giver, and he doesn't want to give me those things, and I must not be praying enough, or I must not have enough faith, right? I just must not believe, and if I just have more faith, if I just exercise more faith, if I just express more faith, then that thing will come. Listen, God is for you, right? He's so for you that he protects you against yourself. Because sometimes the things that you pray for and think you want and need would crush you if he gave them to you when you asked. Or sometimes they would simply negate a future blessing that you're about to receive, right? I've shared this story before, or variations of it, but for the first seven years of our marriage, my, uh, uh, to my wife, we, we prayed for children, right? And we wanted kids, and we wanted kids, and we wanted kids, and we did everything that we possibly could to, to have kids, and to have kids, and to have kids. Lord, what? Why aren't you doing this, Lord? Why aren't you doing this, Lord? Why aren't you doing this, Lord? Like, Lord, just give it to us now. Give it to us now. Give it to us now. And then you have kids, and you're like, holy cow, I can't believe I wanted kids when I was 21 years old. <laughs> like, <sighs> <sighs> thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, right? 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 But then at the, same, at the same token, right, you get seven years down the line from when we first started praying, and we are blessed with this little boy who a week from now is going to be eight right Noah is going to turn eight next year and we and we adopted him from a young mother right who couldn't take care of him and if and if we had the the circumstances of that adoption and that ongoing relationship that we have with his birth mother even now and just everything that Noah signifies and means for us about God's favor and about God's timing and about God's blessing and you know if we if God would have given us the thing that we thought we wanted and needed the moment that we would have we would have missed out on the blessing that Noah is for our life in our lives God is not reluctant to give us good things God is, God is reluctant to see good things destroy us before we're spiritually fit to receive them. So, there's a, a, corollary, uh, a corollary issue here, right? And that is, we... Um, We get stuck. We get stuck in a certain direction, right? And we can we can create um, we can we can create blinders. We can put blinders on so that what once was really clear to us now becomes very narrow to us. And here's what I mean when I when I say that is that is that in our in our prayer in the consistency of our prayer, in the, in the persistence and the fervency of our prayer, we can actually lose sight on what is most important in prayer. And, and what I mean is that, is that we, can become, we can become fixated on receiving the thing more than on um, communion with the one that gives the thing. We, we, we become fixated on the gift rather than the giver, right? 
And, and prayer at its core, although yes, God is eternally for you. And God desires to give you good things as we see in Matthew chapter 7 verse 9. That above all other things and before all other things, the thing that God wants you to have most is himself. We must be, be careful of, of begging God to do a specific thing in a way that implies we want the thing more than we want him. It's like a, I mean, it's a classic like case of using someone for their things or their stuff, right? Like Sherry married me for my money. We get that, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's for my good looks. Um, <laughs> but but we understand it when we think of it in those terms, right? Like I don't I don't love her for what she can give me. I love her for, for who she is, for her, for her character, right? For her, for, for her soul. I love her. And because what if the gift dried up? You know, is God just like a spiritual vending machine? You just push the button and out comes the thing. And you walk away from it, Right? Until you're hungry again, you come back to the thing, you press the button, you take the thing, and you go, right? I mean, that's not what I, like, yeah, that would be cool, right? But there's so, man, there's so much more. I, I want more than that. I want more than just the thing. I want the giver of the thing. So let's go back to chapter 6, um, starting at verse 5, and want to look at just a, um, a few really, pra- three, I would say three practical things this morning for our prayer, uh, prayer lives. And I'm telling you, um, stick with us, okay? Because we are sequentially um, amping up the intensity of prayer over these six weeks, okay? So we're like, we're trying to, we're trying to lay a base layer right now. I found, like, well, I know all those things about prayer. Okay, good. I'm glad. Continue to develop them. Stick with us because we're going to, like, the goal is to plumb the depths of prayer. Both practically and, like, here and in the Word. Like, so next week I'm going to be talking about how to, how to pray prayers that always get answered. It's not a trick question, okay? Pray prayers that always get answered. And it has to do with fasting. Okay? Fasting in prayer. And, um, and then Pastor Corey's going to come behind that with another, and we're going to come behind it again. Like, we're going to come behind it again. So we're amping up here, right? But these are necessary. Um, so Matthew chapter 6, okay. So, and when you pray... Uh, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. This is important. I didn't plan to say this, but it's important because we can say, look, ah, Pastor, why do we pray? Why do we pray in church then? Why do you lead us in prayer? I mean, it seems like pretty clear that the Scripture is saying like, uh, if you're going to pray, go in a private place, shut the door, speak to your Father in heaven, and then go about your business, right? So, yes, that is what Jesus is saying here. But understand that Jesus is also reacting to a specific situation that he's seeing. And we know that because of the overall context and conversation that's going on in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is reacting unfavorably towards spiritual 
leaders who are presenting themselves as essentially more than they actually are. And then taking those lofty expectations of spirituality and placing them in all of their heaviness and burdensomeness and placing them on the shoulders of those who are following them. And what he's, what he's saying, he's responding to that. He's saying, look, you're not more spiritual. You do, you do not have a corner on the market of prayer because you can stand on the street corner and sound all like King James English when you pray. I see through it. I see your heart. And it doesn't please if you really want to get to the heart of God, go and pray in a closet where no one can see you. And so he's reacting against an extreme. He's not making a universal declaration about how prayer should be practiced. You understand that? Okay. So... He says, right, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to whom? Your Father in heaven, right? We see this repeated time and time again in the Gospels. We see it when Jesus, the disciples, when um, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Listen, we pray... We pray to our Father in heaven. We pray to the Father. We pray to the Father. This is important. A Father is the one that hears our prayers. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one that, that, that motivates and encourages and bubbles up the prayers of our spirit. Right? The Son gives us access to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen, this is equally as important. You don't pray to the people that are around you. And, and you need to hear this because this is a really bad habit that we have. We do not pray. We do not pray. It is not a Christian practice. It is not a good thing. To pray for the hearing benefit of those around us. Man, I'm just going to put my arm around you and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to encourage you. Is when, we, when we put our arm around someone and we pray for them and we, and we pray for them, is it encouraging? Sure, it can be. It can also be challenging. It can also be heartbreaking. It can also be difficult, right? But we don't pray so that that person hears the things that we're praying. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if they hear it. It's only, they're, they're, they're powerless, right? They're, they're powerless to do anything with the words of our mouth. They're powerless to do anything with the faith that we're seeking to express through our prayers. The, the one we are praying to is our Father in heaven. We are not praying so that the people around us can hear what we're praying and be encouraged or be convicted or be moved to action or do X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter if anyone else hears you or doesn't hear you when you are praying. You are not praying for their listening benefit. Period. Now, it can be completely innocent, of course, right? And we do just want to encourage them, and we do just want to love them, and, and we do want them to be affirmed, right? But it can also go, like we've already talked, completely to the other side of the spectrum, right? It can be shameful and disgraceful and downright mean and judgmental when we pray for all of the sins that our brother here has. And thank you, Lord, for saving me from those bad sins. And uh... Listen, we pray when you pray. When you pray. 
You are praying to an audience of one. One. Because there is only one that can do anything with that prayer. All of our prayer. Aimed at him. Not for the hearing benefit of those around us. We pray to our Father in heaven. I guess the question there then is, is, well, why pray out loud at all? Right? If we're, if we're only praying to an audience of one, if we're only praying prayers aimed at the Father, why, I mean, why pray out loud at all? Like, what's the point? Um, good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, but seriously, all right? Um, you ever, like, uh, you ever in a prayer meeting or you ever in prayer and um, someone's praying and, and you're praying with them and you're, like, you're tuned in, right? You're, t- you're tuned in. And as they're praying for something like your, your spirit, right? Like, they, like God is stirring something in your spirit in that moment of prayer. Like, like yes, Lord. Yeah. I'm, 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 yes, that thing, Lord. Like, yeah, hear that prayer, Lord. L- listen to that. Yes, Lord. And you've all been a part of it. You've all heard it, right? Where, where e- even in the midst of prayer, right? Or in the midst of preaching, right? Yes, Lord. Amen. And yes, Lord. Right? That there's, that there's people who are verbally testifying to the words that are being proclaimed or being prayed, right? As a, as a, like, uh, as a way of entering into the same flow of faith that is going to the Father. We are, uh, yes, Lord, I stand in, in unity in the Spirit with that prayer. And Lord, yes, I pray the same thing. And Father, hear by faith these words. Respond, Lord. Act on their behalf. So so there comes in, in, in outward prayer, there comes an opportunity for the for the family of God to unite with the one that is praying. Right? As there as as his his or her spirit like reaches out in faith to God in prayer. For you co- you come behind and say, Yes, Lord, we reach in the same way. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, our spirits testify in the same way. Yes, Father, hear our prayers together. It's not just the, it's not just him, it's all of us, yes. And so so prayer out loud in community presents an opportunity for for unity of voice as we pray in faith, right? And it's, and it's not distracting. And it's, it's not wrong. And it's, it is completely okay to verbally and physically say in the midst of prayer, yes, Lord, amen. Second thing is this, is that why is it okay to pray out loud then, if we're talking about all of these things and like motives and audience of one and all of those things. Listen, because the scripture <laughs> tells us that the fervency of our prayers matters. The fervency of our prayer matters. I'm not really a King James Version guy, you know that. Right? But the King James Version of James chapter 5, verse 16 is like the one that like, man, nails this home so much. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent, effectual Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent. We're going to pray to our Father in heaven, right? 
And we are going to pray with fervency. Prayer should be fervent. What does, what does it mean to be fervent? Fervency means having or displaying passionate intensity. It means to be hot, burning, or glowing. In a culture where everything has kind of morphed or rolled over into more individual and independent expressions rather than communal expressions, fervency has gone like out of style. What I mean when I say that is that our culture is a fairly independent culture. Meaning like we value, we, we value the individual most of the time over the whole, culturally. The individual's feelings, their rights, their emotions, their desires, right? And so in the individuality of the culture, we have lost the uh, we, we have lost the value of, um, of the communal experience. And so, and so if I'm praying out loud with fervency, but it's making the person next to me a little bit uncomfortable, right? Then it, because they're whispering or praying silently like a good Christian, right? Then, then it's my duty as the one praying fervently to shh. Pump the brakes, okay? We're praying to the Lord Jesus. But, 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 but Scripture talks about how our prayer should be fervent, right? How our prayer should be bold. How our prayer should be, should be, should be confident, right? And, and, and what is, like, how do you measure, like, if you were to measure anything else, forget prayer, Right? If you were to measure anything else, how would you measure fervency? I am a fervent fan of the Buffalo Bills. Right? Say, so say you're, you're a fervent sports fan. Right? And they win the Super Bowl. Right? I'm just so fervently glad that they won the Super Bowl. No, right? Like you'd be jumping up and down. You'd be going crazy. If you go to the game, you'd be screaming, right? If you're in your living room, you'd probably be screaming too, right? Like isn't the like number one determination of fervency volume? (laughs) Right? I mean, come on, right? Like, I mean, honestly, isn't like the number one like of boldness, of, of confidence, of, of fervency going to be that, that man, I, you can hear me, right? Because I am excited and I believe in this and I, am, and I am displaying passionate intensity because I believe that the Lord is hearing these words, right? Fervency. We pray with, we pray with fervency. And so, there's nothing silent and private and controlled about fervency. And it is the fervent prayer that is powerful. Number three, and this is the last thing for today. Prayer is meant to be simple. Prayer is not meant to be complex it is not meant to be convoluted it is not meant to be highly theological in language or in nature maybe I would say perhaps 
the number one thing that I hear from people when they're struggling to pray, when, when their prayer life is struggling, is that they, they say to me this. They say, Pastor, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I say, um, okay, do you have that problem in other relationships in your life? Do you have, do you have problems knowing what to say to your spouse? To your kids? To your coworkers? To your friends? Well, no, I mean, I talk to them all the time. Like, well, what is different? Well, it's God. I mean, I gotta like be like, gotta be like, thee and and thou in this prayer up a little bit or he ain't going to hear it, right? right, No, prayer prayer is meant to be simple and I would would say, I would go so far as to say is the more complex we try to make it, the more we're making it about us. Because what Jesus tells the people here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 is that hey, don't go babbling on, right? Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. That prayer is meant to be simple. To be just who I am. I don't know what to say. It's because we've been led to believe that we have to say it in some formulaic, complex, in the right order, with the right words type of manner. And it couldn't be further from the truth as if God is, God is trying to trip you up, Right? Like, ha they didn't say the right words. Don't have to answer that one. Uh, right? But think of when, if you, if you have a child, right? Even if you don't have your own children, if you've ever spoken to a child, right? Is there any, like, is there any, like, hesitancy for them to like just communicate with you? I mean like, man, I got a five-year-old to make your ears bleed, right? Right, just all day long about nothing, right? You can't, you can't tell me, right, that, that you don't know what to say. You know what to say, Right? You just have to be given permission to say it like it just normally comes out. You have, I mean, honestly, like sometimes we have to have permission. I'm, okay, I'm one of your spiritual leaders. I am your, I am your pastor. I am giving you permission to talk to God as it normally comes out of your mouth within reason. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? But, but honestly, though, honestly, prayer is, can be, is meant to be simple. So relax. Talk to your father, not for the benefit of anyone else. Ask him, Lord, teach me to pray. I don't know how to do this. This is weird for me, God. This doesn't seem natural. Help me, Lord. Let me hear from you. Hear me. Father, this is what's going on. This is what happened in my day today, and I don't understand it. It frustrates me. It makes me angry. It hurts. I'm happy. Simple. Let's pray to the Father. Lord, you hear us, Father. We know that. We're confident of that.
and even, Lord, even when we can't really put much explanation or reasoning behind the how and the why of prayer. Father, I, I believe by faith that what your word says is true. That you are for us. Lord, that you don't hide yourself from us. Lord, that you don't want, you don't want somehow to confuse us. Lord, but that like a child who asks their father for a fish or a loaf of bread, Lord, you desire to give us every good thing. Lord, and the things that we are asking for now, Lord, that would destroy us, that we are not ready to receive, Father, work in our heart and our lives to make us spiritually fit to receive the things that you're already willing to give to us. Teach us how to pray as a community, Lord. Teach us how to pray as a body. Lord, that, that out of this room, out of these mouths, Lord, would come prayers of such deep faith that they shake the very foundations of the kingdom. Lord, and that a city would be revived and changed, Lord. Lord, we know that that change starts in our heart. It starts in our homes. It starts in this church. So, Father, I pray that in a powerful, magnificent, miraculous way, Lord, your Spirit would teach us how to be a praying church, not just a church that prays. In Jesus' name. Amen.